You're listening to the Hope Rebellion Podcast. Hey, we made it to episode two. All right. Um, this is going to be a good episode two. I'm really excited about it. But before we, we jump into all this, I do have some thank yous. Um, there's a link on our website and then also in the show notes where you can quote unquote buy us a coffee. Um, and when you do that, you not only help our caffeine addiction, but you help, um, you help us get this podcast out and you help us with the content that goes on our website and you help us, uh, better ourselves in getting better equipment and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, it's just a way that you can kind of pitch in and become part of the show. And we already had some folks jump on and do that. And I'm like super excited about it. So I just want to say thank you to Rick, uh, who got us 10 coffees. Um, we had a couple anonymous folks who, uh, gave five coffees. Uh, our friend Mark, uh, gave us five as well and sent us a little shout out that said best of luck. And then, um, my godson, Otto Willis threw in and and uh, gave us five coffees as well. So just want to say thank you uh, for supporting us and helping us out. And uh, like I said, that link is on our website. It's also in our show notes. So you can and definitely jump on that. Now, this episode is real. It's open. It's honest. My nephew Chandler comes on and he shares his story, his story of being gay growing up. And I think we titled it growing up in a Pentecostal wasteland, but basically he grew up in the same culture that I did. And in, in some moments we were actually at the same place at the same time. Um, I was his youth pastor at one time and, uh, walking with him through some of this and uh he just shares his heart and shares the struggle and 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 how he felt and uh where he's at now and uh just the freedom that he's experienced and uh man uh it you'll hear us like it gets deep to where there's almost like this nervous laughter that happens between us because we're talking and uh you know, coming out of those strict systems to a place of acceptance and awareness and openness and affirm and, and just to a place of being affirming. And his story helped uh, my heart open and realize the stupid things that, that I had believed and even taught at one time. And so it's deeply personal to me. And uh, uh, his, his story has helped me in so many ways. And I wanted him to come on and talk. And uh, we did record this a while ago. We recorded it back in September. And he talks about how he's writing a book. Well, that book is already out. And it's in, uh, the link is in the show notes. You can go there. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so you might hear a few dated things, but overall, the content is excellent. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear it and hear his story. Uh, I do want you to know that while you're listening to this, and if you have gone through some things like Chandra has gone through, and uh, you're looking for someone to talk to, or maybe you're in a scenario now, and uh, and you just need someone to talk to, listen, there are some links in our show notes. Uh, we have the number for the Trevor Project. Um, 
uh, you can you can message us as well and, and, and maybe we can connect you to some folks to talk to uh, we also have a list of counseling uh, online counseling places um, uh, your mental health is very important to us and so if there's some things that you hear in it and it triggers some stuff listen take a few moments breathe call somebody and talk to them and just know we're here for you we're, we are uh, we love and affirm you and stand with you and I hate if you're in the church and you're going through this because you're gay uh, and, and, and there's been pain or whatever I, listen know that there are people that, that love you and stand with you and maybe the folks that are around you right now don't but there's a community of people that do and uh, one way to, to, to move forward is to, to talk and so maybe you need to call the Trevor Project or, or maybe connect with someone or even send us a message and maybe we can connect, with, connect you with some folks but yeah this is a good story and I'm excited for you to hear it alright so here we go So I'm here with my nephew slash cousin Chandler. Chandler, Cox. that would be me. That would be you. That would be me. Do we need to explain why I, you are my nephew slash cousin? Do we Basically, to... he's old, <laughs> and I'm his younger cousin, and that's just a thing my family does. Yes, that's all you need to know. <laughs> So, we've been planning to do this for a, a, a really, year and a half. Yeah, yeah. It was a long time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We talked about doing it, and then we talked about doing it on Zoom because of the pandemic, pandemic. and plus you were in Columbus for a while, because you do go to the... Ohio State University. Yeah. Go Bucks. <laughs> Not that I like football. Yeah, no, but we were going we were gonna to do it, and then finally, I think my wife, Lindsay, your aunt quote-unquote, aunt, cousin, person, <laughs> um, finally put it on the calendar, and so here we are. We got there. So. It just took a while. Um, it's, it's interesting because, or this conversation is going to be interesting because we've kind of walked through some stuff together. Yeah. And <laughs> we've walked through some stuff together, and uh, there's definitely been... I don't want to use this word because it's so can be so cheesy, but it fits in some way. Uh, there's been an, an awakening, so to speak, in you. Uh, yeah, yeah, in <laughs> many many ways. It's gonna say in many many ways. And here's this is this is uh, this is the cool thing is watching you go through that awakening has also helped some things in me and see things and value things way. Way more than what I ever thought I would be able to, and see things completely from a different perspective, and actually be able to put um, go beyond just the thought process of love to the point of oh yeah this is how this is how this rolls this is this is legit. So we're gonna get into this. Let's get into it. <laughs> Let's let's just get right into it. So, in the last how many years? How how many years would it be of life or deconstruction? No, well, not well deconstruction, but also the big subject that we're going to talk about: the today. gay. Yes, yes. <laughs> the gay. Cause, so, because I know I know your story, and people are going to hear this story, um, but 
it, would you say it's been the I don't, I don't know how to say seriousness or the like the like you knew legit like how yeah long? so I don't know exactly what the year was but much much before I could have like complex thoughts about theology or God or any of that I knew that I looked at guys in a way that was different than the other guys that I was in school with or at church with. And to be honest, a lot of that was from TV. I had a really big crush on the dude from Sunny with a Chance, the kid's show. <laughs> that was my first celebrity crush. I didn't necessarily know that it was a crush at the time, just a, I am attracted to him in a way that most other guys aren't, not in a sexual kind of attraction, but like gravitated towards him. In a different way. Um, then slowly over time, through puberty, that began to change. And it was like, oh, like, well, shit, this is like, I'm gay. <laughs> um, there's no getting around that, despite the fact that from a young, young age, I had always been told, like most of us in the church have, being gay is a sin. It's unnatural. It's not okay. God sees it as abomination. Right. Well, let, let, let's get into that a little bit because you and I both grew up in the same kind of, uh, let's say, religious upbringing. We grew up evangelical beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Pente- we grew <laughs> Pentecostal uh, in the in the denomination that our family has been in for wow. generations <laughs> yeah. and generations. So, um, so. Your entire life, you're told that that's a sin, it's evil, it's an abomination, and when you're at a young age, you're watching, is it Nickelodeon or Disney? It was Disney. Disney. You're watching Disney, and you see this dude, and you know that there's something different, but you can't even go to Sunday school the next day and talk about it, because if you do, you know what's coming next. From a young age, you knew asking those questions is not okay. Like, it was never explicitly said out loud, but just the way that gay people were talked about in church, you knew that those questions weren't allowed, those attractions were not allowed, and the best way to manage them if you have them is to simply not talk about them and pretend you don't have them. So how did that, as, um, how old were you at, when you, when that, let's say when that show was out, how old were you? That's great. Probably 10. 10. 10. So how did that make 10-year-old Chandler feel? Confused at first. Um... Didn't really understand it at all. Um, so for a few years, it really wasn't an issue because there, there's no seriousness in dating as a 10-year-old. Right. I'm using air quotes here. <laughs> Having boyfriends and girlfriends in, high, or in elementary school, middle school. There's no serious in that. Nothing's actually happening besides holding hands and hugging. So I could easily pass as Chandler the straight guy that loves to go to church. <laughs> so... All of my friends that I'm close to now, I have dated in the past. <laughs> Try, like, in middle school and in elementary school. So I tried to fake my way through it then, but then slowly over time, probably around 13, 14, it became to the point that, like, yeah, no, I can't fake this anymore. I can't just not talk about it. But rather than a healthy way of dealing with it, which would be to try to process those emotions in a healthy way to actually do what I did eventually in the future and look at 
the substance of what I've been told. Instead, that turned from self-doubt to myself and being confused to an anger towards queer people. And all sorts of homophobic rants on Facebook and on Instagram, almost in a hope to convince other people, and partially myself, that I wasn't gay. So less trying to ignore it and more trying to do everything that I could to work my way out of it, which was obviously all to no avail. In the end, it really just hurt some people that I cared about through those statements, many of which were the same statements I had heard in church all my life. I was just saying them louder and much more often. Yeah, because I remember um, when, whenever it was, I don't think I was working yet at the church that you were going to, but I was around, just because I was family, I was mm-hmm. around, and I remember, um, I don't know, was it, it was Facebook that those things were posted on, oh, and, yeah. I, and I remember just thinking, wow, wow, he's, he's going there, and, and not that, um, cause I was raised the same way. Yeah. And so I, you know, and so it, it took time for even me to see things differently. Um, but I never, <laughs> I guess, I guess it was never in me or anything to make statements like that. Um, but I knew that you were going for it. Like I was mm-hmm. like, holy cow. Yeah. And, uh, but, and we can edit this part out if you want to, uh, uh, or we can be, be real about it. Let's I remember, I remember, uh, there were times when you were young, young, younger, and there were folks in our family and in our church that would say things like, uh, that you were different, that you, well, I mean, even, even when you were young, they would say, I think he's gay. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I don't remember these times. <laughs> I was <laughs> two or three. I remember hearing about them later on. Right. But I do think it's because, to me, sexuality is something that develops at those young ages. So I do think that there was genuinely something that maybe some people did pick up on that others didn't. Which, to me more than anything, the fact that they said those things proves my point even more that my sexuality is not a choice. If you could tell at such a young age that something was different, obviously it's not a conscious choice that's being made on my part. Right. Or on the part of any queer person. Right. And it was, but because of the, because of the scenario that we were in, um, people were saying it in such a negative light when really they were picking on something that was really who you were. Yeah. And which is, and it's not as if they offered any quote unquote help on how to deal with it. Right. Like if you thought those things about me and you thought from your, their perspective that it was a negative thing to me, you would want to help that person deal with it. That was never, no help was offered. Right. So, um, going at, let's, let's get into high school. All right. (laughs) Because I, because I know high school was, it was kind of like the beginning of your, your high school journey. (laughs) Yeah. You were probably still in that mode a little bit, like trying to, towards the beginning, trying to, to, to prove and fight against and, and, and there were some political things that you were involved yes. in. <laughs> so, early high school, still struggling the same way that I had men with sexuality. Still being super homophobic on Facebook, probably to a lesser extent, because it wasn't quite... Society wasn't all talking about it in the same way they were in 2015, right. when same-sex marriage was legalized. 
but I would still post about it. I wrote letters. I found one the other day. I wrote a letter as a 15-year-old to, what's his name, Rob Portman, asking him to strike down a law that would allow same-sex marriage in Ohio. So I was still very involved and cared about trying to suppress those feelings in myself. Then things started to shift come 2016 with the election. At first, watching, I was a Republican, so I was watching the Republican debates. And from the very beginning, I knew I did not like Trump. There was, I didn't enjoy or like or agree with hardly anything that he had to say. The bluntness that people seemed to love, to me, just seemed like he was being a dick. Um, and I was very bothered by the fact that the people I had grown up in church with that had preached to me the words of Jesus to turn the other cheek, to be kind to the people that curse us, those were the same people that were voting for a man who did none of that, who did the opposite of that, time and time again. So this is when the hypocrisy of the church really started to become apparent to me. Um, and I think in some ways, seeing that they aren't always practicing what they're preaching, and do they really believe all these things that they're telling me, opened the door slightly for me to start questioning other things that I had always been told. Because if it was so easy for us to go back on the actual words of Jesus, things that he actually said to do, and to support a man that is the exact opposite of that, why should I take so seriously what they have to say about my sexuality? So that's kind of where that began. Wow. See, because it's funny that you bring up 2015 and 2016, because I didn't, I didn't know, uh, I guess I didn't put two and two together with those dates, because in 2015, and you bring up Rob Portman and writing that letter, in 2015, I would have been, if not that year, the year before, in the church setting that I was in at that time, would have worked for, and I say work for in quotes, uh, a group of people that would have been pushing for him. Like, because I was working for a church in Ohio, and they would have been working to get him elected. And even, um, probably at some point, did some sort of video production for whatever campaign he was mm -hmm. doing. Because the church that I was involved in was heavily into politics and doing stuff like that. And it was around that time in doing those things and working on uh, video projects and stuff for all this political stuff, being on staff at a church, that's when I started questioning a bunch of stuff like um why are we involved this heavily in the politics yeah. why are we um taking these kind of stands um it was before trump came into the picture but i remember uh being in meetings and they would rant and rave for hours on end about a gay agenda yep. it kept going on and on about some gay agenda and it was going to take over the nation and it was going to do all these things and i remember uh our Right around when uh, gay marriage was legalized, and this was the Supreme Court case, yeah. and I remember watching the joy in people's faces and the anguish in some of the folks that I was connected with, and started putting two and two together. Like, which one? Which one in this moment is more like Jesus? Yeah. And so for me, that was um, was one of the the breaking points for me because I uh, started seeing things from a different perspective in a different light, and started going. Gay agenda, if there's any agenda, it's, it's the fact that people just want to be treated equally like human beings. Yeah. And I remember that was around the same time. I remember the big, huge cake 
debacle. Yes. Oh, yes. I and do. I was always like, what's, I don't understand what the, what is the big deal? I, I was just so outraged, like, uh, like what, I don't understand the big deal, and it kept happening across the country. And so those were some things that started to shift in me. That and knowing, uh, having friends in the past and having friends, um, tell me their stories and tell me things that felt like they could finally share some things with me. I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I was probably involved with a lot of stuff and was pretty much a dick to people yeah. when it came to just, um, their story and their life and yeah. their, their, what they went through in the church. Well, and it's really interesting that you talk about seeing the joy in the queer community versus the anguish in your church community when <laughs> the law was legalized. Because that's the same, those are the same emotions that I had within my own self. There was, for a few seconds, a joy that I genuinely felt in the fact that these people were finally able to have equal rights with straight couples. They were finally able to get married their love was finally recognized on the same level as everyone else. But then at the same time, there was an anger that was also directed towards them. Because in my mind, I was... What's the word I'm looking for? I was projecting my shame onto them in the hatred that I felt for myself onto them. And to me, they were celebrating the worst kind of sin. And I saw it as the worst kind of sin because it's the one, the quote-unquote sin that I was dealing with. So I had both of those emotions and it was a very conflicting period of time there where I don't know which side of this I'm supposed to give into because one side is bringing me happiness and joy, but goes against everything that I've ever been told. And the other is making me miserable, but this is what I've always been told is right. And sadly for a few more years, that is the side that I chose to stick with. Well, I mean, you were told your entire life that that's the big sin. Yeah. Like, that's the big sin. Like, there's there's homosexuality, and then there's... Everything else. Everything else. And, like, even even abortion to the evangelical church isn't up as high mm-hmm. as homosexuality. And it's... it's They just totally um, make it to be this big... Ba- it's almost like a voodoo to them. Yeah. Um, and they... <laughs> I don't even know how to put it into words because I've been in so many meetings where they've talked about things and, and said things. And it's almost, it's everything they accuse the LGBTQ community to be, they are. Yep. The hatred, the anger, the, the malicious, the way their eyes look and their face bulges and they're the just, it, it's insane. Uh, the, yep. everything that they accuse that community to be they are and everything that they preach jesus is and the love and all that you see way more of that in the queer community yes it's in like gonna get real for a second but one of the main things that gets talked about a lot in church circles about queer people is equating them to pedophiles yeah meanwhile we have an institutional church that is ridden with higher-ups molesting children. We have church communities ridden with people abusing young girls and young boys. And you hear about that a lot more than you do ever the queer community. So really, to me, the ones that are speaking out most against it, you're 
projecting your own issues onto a community that has nothing to do with that, which is the core of most of the things, the stupid stereotypes that get thrown onto us. It's right. we're trying to ignore our own problems. We don't want to talk about them, so we're going to act like you have them and condemn you for them. Well, it's the funny thing is, is the um, it's the whole parable of the the stick and the the speck. Yeah, it's the whole inward thing. Uh, in folks, the the thing that they hate the most is just an uh, just an inward projection of what's what actually they, happening in yep. in them or 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 some issue that's going on, and so that always when when I started, it was one of the things that really woke me up um, to really see that homosexuality isn't a sin, uh, that um, all humanity is created in the image of God, in the image of the Creator, uh, in the image of love, and that we're good. That that, that was honestly the part of the breakdown was seeing how much hatred there is for a community of people. And then when you start seeing it with, with this community, then you start seeing how much hatred there is towards other races, mm -hmm. towards other nations, towards other... Towards women. Towards women, yes. You start seeing all that, and you're like, okay, so all none of this, one, is truth or life. It's This is just another sect another religion another it's it's not reality it's not mm -hmm. real um and it when your eyes start to open and you can see those things you start seeing how much love there is and how much life there is in all these communities outside of the church outside yeah, of the I church agree. and yeah. it's interesting like some of the people that have fed me the most spiritually have not been tied to a church have not been like a really good example is my grandma who's passed away. She, don't get me wrong, she was a Christian, but it wasn't a, I'm going to constantly talk about Jesus and constantly talk about this sin and that sin, and I'm going to constantly, we're going to church every Sunday. It was, I knew she loved Jesus, and she was an embodiment of Christ, a manifestation of his love, and that was all it took. And in fact, a lot of the times when I was not being, she was the one that was there pushing against those horrible Facebook posts or those talking points I was repeating from church. She was really the only one in my life at those times that was like, okay, but we're not called to judge people. And you think they're wrong for doing this X, Y, or Z, but then you're judging them. And these two wrongs aren't making it right. You're not helping anyone by being judgmental towards people. Um, but in, as she, while she was a Christian, she was not a pastor or, in church leadership by any means and it wasn't even her christianity that affected me or fed me spiritually it was just her love awesome so so let's get back to where you're at so you it's 20 let's say it's 2016 and you're in this you're in this struggle and basically um you hate yourself you love yourself yeah what was the breaking point that's a good question. Um, honestly, the breaking point came after you and Lindsay came to the youth group to start um, leading youth there. And it didn't start at all with sexuality. That wasn't the first domino to fall. <laughs> the first domino to fall was the rapture. Okay. So 
the le- that's what led into all the rest of it. So, I don't want to take a deep dive into preterism versus futurism or any of that, but essentially there are different views of what the rapture is, what revelation means. Right. Views that I was never presented as a kid. I have never grown up hearing that people could think that the rapture had already taken place. None of that was ever offered to me as a viable option or as a choice. So when, with conversations with you and with you telling me to dig in and do my own research and ignore the biases of other people, that opened my eye, my eyes to, okay, maybe everything in the Bible, everything that I've been told from a pulpit, isn't exactly as true as people are trying to make it out to be. Maybe when people say that you can be gay and a Christian, they might be right, because I had friends that claimed to be. And to me, I would think that they're either not gay or they're not a real Christian. Because to me, there was no reconcil- there was no way to reconcile those two things. But through deconstructing the re- or revelation, I was able to open open the door to deconstructing some of the other homophobic beliefs that i always been taught. So that's where the door really opened. So being able to start finding things out for yourself and seeing things and recognize them, that was one thing. The, the dominoes started to fall mm-hmm. and you started to, to see things you started to see life in in words yeah. instead of so much death. Yeah, just the just the fact that I knew that I could go and I could look at the original language. That was never never ever anything that was ever brought up to me that's something that I could go do myself until you bought me a concordance for my birthday. <laughs> like I didn't know those existed <laughs> at all. So the ability to do that and to dig into these verses that are used as weapons against the queer community and understand that in a lot of them in all of them what's being talked about in the English translation is not at all what Paul was talking about in any way right well so basically your heretic uncle shows up and (laughs) yes but I want to keep in mind like you I just because I don't want it to sound like okay I'm being spoon fed on this side now I'm being spoon fed another thing you never ever gave me you should believe this, or you should believe this. I can't think of a single time in the last five years that you've ever told me what I should or should not believe. More than anything, you gave me the tools and gave me the courage to go actually figure out what the heck I believe. So, I don't want people to get that twisted, that Mick is the one who told me what to believe. (laughs) Mick told me to start doing my own research myself. Well, yeah, and that's something I had to learn for myself too. Um, I had to learn how to how to discern and and look for things my own for my own because I was like you. I was told so many things growing up. One of the, one of the major shifts in, in me uh, was when I was a, I was just a little kid, I, old enough. To, I always loved to read. I started reading when I was in, before kindergarten. My mom taught me to read before kindergarten. I was digging into books. And because I'm a pastor's kid, one of the things that I devoured was the Bible. I've read the yeah. Bible so many times. It's, and that's not, I'm not tooting any horn or anything. Like, it's just what I did because that's how I grew up. But I read the King James and I struggled with it. And my grandma, I think I was like maybe seven or eight years old, she bought me a new King James version, which was like a big deal back in the 80s. Yeah. And I showed up to Sunday school class with it. And I had spent, like, I went to, some folks will know what this is and some won't. I went to West Virginia camp meeting and my grandma bought me this church, this, this new, this new King James Bible. And I 
brought it home and I, I devoured it that entire week. I brought it to church with me. I was so excited about it. And it was, we would basically read passages in Sunday school and then talk about them. And it was my turn. It came around and we all had to take turns and it came time for me to read. And I read part of one verse and my Sunday school teacher stopped me and said, you can't read from that. And I was so devastated because that was something my grandma gave me and two, I can understand it. And I was so excited for everybody else in the class to understand it. And I was told I wasn't allowed to read it. And so two things happened. One shame, uh, happened like, here I am, the pastor's kid, and I'm not allowed to read the Bible in Sunday school anymore. So there was shame there. And there was also an anger there that made me wanted to dig and find out why uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't allowed to. And so there, it was a, um, a 50-50 thing that I grew up in. There was a lot of shame because I was so different and weird and wanted to find out all this stuff. But at the same time, I was angry and I wanted to. And so uh, somewhere along the line, I think my dad at some point said, it's okay for me to find out stuff on my own and kind of, and my mom especially encouraged me to do that. Uh, where my love for Bob Dylan is comes from my mom, Bob Dylan, (laughs) uh, Bob Dylan. And and most of the stuff, the older stuff that I listen to comes from my mom and the artistic stuff. But, um, she really pushed for that to happen, the study, to look into it for myself. So there was always that. And eventually it came to a point where I just wanted other people to do that for themselves because I didn't, who wants to it's so weird when you want to control people with only like you have to think things this way um and that's what the church has been doing forever is you have to know it this way you have to learn it this way and the reason why they do that is control money and power yep and if they can if if they can get you to be afraid of ever moving away from what they teach then they know they can keep you from going outside those bounds. And so that's the thing that I want to ask you, because I know that when you start asking questions and you start moving beyond how you were taught, uh, how, how did that one, how did that feel? And two, how did that, like, I can imagine the years before, well, I can't imagine the years before the trauma and the shame and the, the, the mental health that you had to walk through. And then now when things start, cause deconstruction is rough and it feels like it can feel like hell one day and feel like heaven the next. So I guess for you, what did that, because this is more, cause here's the thing I've deconstructed ideas. I've deconstructed faith, but I've never, I haven't walked through what you've had to walk through. Cause you walk through deconstructing your faith, deconstructing, uh, you know, just thought process and things, but I don't know if this is a term, but you deconstructed an identity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree. Cause you were told one way your entire life and then you started finally, truly stepping into who you were. And that has to be an interesting ride. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, it's very brave. If I can say that. I mean, to me, it was a necessity. Like there was no, like I've said it before, but there was no way that I was going to be able to keep living in that state until like, so this was what, four or five years ago. Yes. I don't know that I think there's a way that I would have made it till today. Had I not, there was no choice involved in it. If I wanted to keep going, I was going to have to ask these questions at some point. And luckily for me, 
I'm a lot luckier than people in the past where all of the knowledge I could ever want were at my fingertips because of social media, because of the internet. So the first thing I did, well, the first thing I did was I asked you to go out to lunch. <laughs> I was going to one Wednesday night. Bring that up. Yeah. Yes. So we went to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Yes. It was a Chick-fil-A because you don't like it. No. Um, we went to a Chick-fil-A. Didn't talk about sexuality really at all until the end. Right. We talked about all sorts of other stuff. But eventually I got the like got up the nerve to ask you about your opinion on sexuality. Because I had been dealing with it for three or four years at this point. I was starting to a- ask questions because, well, the rapture, that doesn't make sense. So this doesn't make sense. I might as well just ask him. And you said something along the lines of, you understand what the scriptures say, but that people should really take a deep dive into like the words that Paul used and the context he was in and that people would probably see it in a more empathetic light. So that wasn't exactly the answer I wanted. (laughs) I was used to being spoon fed and I wanted to be spoon fed. (laughs) Yes or no. I would have taken either. If it was a no, I would have done my best to truck along and try to fake it till I made it. But, and if it was a yes, then I honestly probably wouldn't have believed you. (laughs) That it's okay, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But that answer is what got me to go home that night into Google. I don't remember the exact term that I used, but basically like gay Christian, which was something I had looked up a thousand times before. But I was finally like willing to actually think about the things that were being presented. So I watched this guy, Matthew Vines. He wrote a book called God and a Gay Christian. And he did a talk about it at a very, very conservative Southern Baptist church. And presents the church's traditional view, but then he starts to kind of poke holes in some of it. He talks about how the word that Paul uses when he's giving off the list of all of the different things that the people that won't inherit the kingdom of God, the word there that we now translate to homosexual is catanite or something like that. I don't remember the exact pronunciation, but it's quite literally a child sex slave in any other context, biblically or secularly that you read it from that era it's a child sex slave so that was astounding to me and then digging further the word homosexual was never even in a bible until 1946 right which one again shocked me and two kind of pissed me off because i had been raised to believe that since jesus died on the cross everybody knew being gay was bad and you weren't allowed to be gay And that's just how the church has always been, always will be. That's how God is. So, but being presented this information that that's not how the Bible has always been written, that hasn't even been around for a hundred years. Kind of pissed me off that that information had not been shared with me. So I started to ask people, um, ask the pastor at my church, ask other elders in the church and family members. And there were never any good answers to any of the questions or good rebuttals to any of the evidence that I brought up. The closest they would get is something like it's not natural so it must be a sin, which to me is a really stupid argument because iPhones aren't natural, cars <laughs> aren't natural, processed meat's not natural, but are we going to condemn people for hell, to hell for using those things? I don't think so. Two, homosexuality is by definition natural. It's in something like 450 species. There is homosexual behavior. 
There's literally a gay penguin in an Australian zoo. This couple of gay penguins that stole an egg and hatched it and now have a gay penguin baby. <laughs> so the the reaction was subpar, to say the least. People didn't have a good rebuttal to try to quell any of my doubts. And to me, that only acted to further prove the fact that, like, there really isn't a way to get around this original language, this original context. Like, if what they say is true, they would be able to rebut what I'm saying. And they're not. And they still, to this day, aren't. Well, I, I remember that conversation that we had at Chick-fil-A because when you when you finally broached that subject, um, if you could, to kind of give you the perspective on the other side, um, the first thing I thought was, oh shit, because <laughs> we're going to have to have this conversation. And the reason why I said that is because um, my thoughts about uh, all of that had shifted, but I'm in a setting and I work for a place that is com- that is completely opposite. Yeah. So how do I bring that? How do I have this conversation without getting fired? Without- <laughs> and two, family. Yeah. <laughs> getting fired and disowned. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I don't want to tell. I don't. I don't want to tell anybody this is something that's so personal and so, um, I don't, I can't give an answer. I can't give a, other than, um, and I, I did a, probably a piss poor job of trying to say, (laughs) I don't know if those scriptures mean what they say. (laughs) Yeah. You know, basically I, I, I didn't have, I, I look back on that and I'm like, man, I just wish I could have said something a little bit different. Um, well, the answer you gave is what started the process of accepting myself. So I think, I think it sufficed. Okay, <laughs> well, it sufficed. It sufficed. <laughs> but I just rem- I do remember uh, the I don't want to say the fallout. I don't want to say that. But I remember, um, you know, you had you you started talking to folks and asking questions, and then I would hear about like. <laughs> what you had asked and, 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 uh, just some of the, just seeing some of the faces and some of the, the looks that they would have, like, um, not knowing how to, like so many times I I didn't have an answer. I didn't know how to to respond. I didn't know. And I would be like, well, I guess you're going to have to start looking yourself. If a 14 year old (laughs) can stump you that maybe you should do some digging. (laughs) Maybe you should look like, I wasn't a seminary student. I was a 15-year-old high school kid. Right. Well, because, you know, we're having this conversation about how the word homosexuality wasn't even, or homosexual, wasn't even in scripture until 1946. Wait till people start breaking it down and finding out that the canon that they hold in their hand uh, is put together by councils and men. uh, Yeah basically to hold power over people i mean quite literally just left out the books they didn't like yes that didn't fit their theological perspective that didn't fit the the male dominated uh control that they had finally gotten Mm -hmm. uh and then also when you start looking when you start you know the 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 topic that we don't like to talk about in America, which is the marriage of religion and empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when you go back and look that all oh, the, 
the books in the Bible were put together around the same time that Christianity became the religion of the empire because the emperor decided that he was going to make it the religion of the entire, you know, world, yeah. the entire, wherever he set his foot, the Roman empire. When you start putting two, two together, it doesn't take long to figure out that there's some, some weird control issues going on. Yeah, quite literally, they waddle, water down the words and message of Jesus to fit their own theological perspective and the perspective that Constantine had. And then when they start making statements like, we're going to destroy anything else that's not a part of these that we've set aside, that should be a... That should Gigantic be... red flag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, like, to be clear, from where I am now, I don't know. I don't know what to call myself. The words of the Bible don't hold that much weight to me anymore. But my point in ever using them to try to advocate for queer inclusion in the church is just because I know there are so many queer people that do still hold to the words of the Bible as gospel. Um, and I just want to be clear that there is a biblical-centered approach that absolutely you can support inclusion. Should, if you're being authentic and real about it, support inclusion. Right. So, let's... Um... I'm not trying to be because I, I I don't want it to be like we're, we're for this to be funny. But what what um, when was the coming out moment? So the coming out moment, I started freshman year, the very end of freshman year. So and did not tell very many people at all. Um, my friend had her dad had actually just come out as gay, um, and I had been struggling with it for years. So I felt safe enough to tell her because I knew that her dad was gay. She loved her dad. She's been my best friend. She's going to love me. So I told her there were no problems about it. She was super supportive. Exactly what I needed at the time. So then I went to my parents, who I had been asking these questions to. They didn't provide the theological answers that I wanted, but they knew that this was something that in no uncertain terms, they knew that I was wrestling with this kind of a question. So I don't think it was a far-off leap to why I was wrestling with it. So I told my mom, um, a super good reaction, no issues whatsoever. My siblings, same thing. Um, actually, that's not true. I forgot to tell my stepbrother. We were in the car somewhere <laughs> with my family on the way somewhere. And my sister asked me if I thought this guy was cute. And I said, yes. My stepbrother is very confused because he thinks I'm straight. And I had told everyone else two weeks before. <laughs> so I forgot to tell poor Jaden. So I'm sorry. Um, and then I told my dad and my stepmom. Also a good reaction. There were no issues there. So, but then... I don't know for what exact reason I stopped telling people, whether it was there's no reason to, there's no necessity to tell anybody else, or if it was I'm just scared to tell the rest of these people. So I stopped until junior year when I started talking to someone and it kind of became clear that things were going to get serious really quickly. So to me, even though there were people in this phase two that I was scared to tell, I thought it would be easier to tell them that I was gay and then let them find out a little later that I also have a boyfriend than to be like, 
hey, by the way, I'm gay and have a boyfriend, all in one. Because <laughs> that's even more to unpack. So, I started, I'm not going to name specific family members, but there were some like you and Lindsay and Trey that were beyond supportive. Trey told me it takes a real man to admit you like a man, which <laughs> lives with me to the, this day. Then there were others that quite literally prayed the gay away. I was told all I need to do to get into heaven is to be straight or to not be so gay and to love Jesus. I was told by another person that gay people are just as evil as pedophiles. Um, Other people insinuated that being gay was a mistake. So there was a lot of there was a lot of good, but there were also a lot of toxic reactions to it. Um, And some of those relationships have slowly since then so it's been how many years now three years since three years ago some of those relationships have began to get mended um there are some people that were at first not very accepting that now ask about the people i'm dating have met people that i've dated loved them would ask questions be super nice but then there are others that frankly i no longer wish to have a connection with um and i don't think they wish to have a connection with me and that's just kind of where we've left it, and we'll likely leave it until the end of time. And that's that's the thing that you know we, because you and I have, and we've talked about um, the trauma and the the mental health behind, you know, just how that affects your mental health. Here it is. Here's your family, and our like our family is pretty much close. Like, oh yeah. And, um, always has, that's how it's always been. And something as simple of, as this is who I am, this is, this is what I do. This is, you know, any of that to see that that would be, um, like you said, we're going to pray it away <laughs> or I just, just don't be like that anymore and love Jesus. Yep. And the sad thing is, is like, um, as far as like anyone that does things in the in the light of what Christ says to do like when i when i picture that you're one of the people that pops up in my head like the this the extreme example of that like that's who you are and everyone knows that but then for someone to say oh just don't act like that and love Jesus more i'm sure that had to be like a worse than a punch in the gut I mean, in some ways it was, because it was just shocking to hear. But then, I think I had waited so long after reconciling it to myself to tell these people that I was out I was out of the self-doubt phase. So I had already hated myself. Nothing that these people were going to say was going to make me go back to that place. So, for instance, when that same person, we sat down and prayed the gay away, I quite literally laughed during the prayer. Because to me, it was funny. Now, three years ago, that would have pushed me even closer to the edge. Which is the main thing with this. Even if you don't agree with people being gay, whatever that means to not agree with gay people, whatever. (laughs) Right. right. They're real, they exist. But even if you're going to hold to that perspective, we need, the church needs some common decency and empathy to understand that you don't know where this person is mentally. 
I could have been where I was three years ago at that point, and that could have pushed me to killing myself. Easily, had that happened three years ago, that would have been a very likely outcome. I was lucky enough to have already worked through that, but most queer people don't. So these kind of situations are really dicey, and the church doesn't deal with it, even if they want to hold to their traditional views that I don't at all subscribe to. But even if, you need to have empathy towards these people. And if you don't agree with them, cool, whatever. But you shouldn't do anything that's going to push them further into self-hatred, into self-doubt, into depression, which is what those things could have done had I not been where I was and worked through what I had worked through. So I think I'm fortunate for where I was mentally at the time. And it doesn't take much to do any type of research to see how to look at statistics and see yeah. the suicide rates uh, in the LGBTQ community exponentially higher. And uh, and a lot. And then when you start looking at the causes, like where where for, and it, it comes from spiritual trauma, uh, spiritual abuse, uh, things that have been spoken by family and by people from religious communities, mm-hmm. and. I mean, you just have to go to yeah. to, to the Trevor yeah. Project, and you can see the the statistics. Yeah. It's it, and I would say if anyone would call themselves a Christian and cannot look at those numbers and have any sense of empathy, then I don't know, I don't know why if you're, you're calling yourself why that. you're yeah why you're calling yeah. yourself a Christian at all. And it's sad. I mean, I think it's even that website Trevor Project. But queer people in the church are something like 3.5 times more likely to kill themselves than a straight person. To me, that's beyond sad. The church that Christ came to build was supposed to be a safe place, that people could go to exist as are, to come as they are, and to live life with one another. And it's these same institutions that have been so perverted by American Christianity that they simply are not safe for queer people. They aren't, in a lot of places, they aren't safe for black and brown people. They aren't safe for poor people. They aren't safe for addicts. Because of, like you said, this marriage between empire and religion. And the politics has become so infused in it that there's no separating your political opinion on something versus the person. Right. Right. It's super scary. Because that's where, um, I mean, that's where we go beyond just conversations with people and it becomes uh, becomes war mm-hmm. with each other um, so where would you say like like where are you now so generally or like with my sexuality or with all of it we can start we can start with that and then we'll we'll because it because it kind of is tied that's very tied yeah so it's not kind of it is it tied is, yeah. all together so let's let's start with sexuality and then we'll move to to the spiritual side of things. Yeah. So sexuality wise, I'm pretty much where I was three years ago when I came out. Still gay, still like dudes. Um, <laughs> I've had a few more boyfriends since then. Um, I mean, I found that the community is not at all what I was raised to believe. Um, I was raised to believe that they were all they we are all hypersexualized and we just really want to go have sex in parks and all sorts of crazy stuff. I don't see any of that. <laughs> I see a group that 
has struggled to get to where we are now, to enjoy the freedoms that we have now, that also empathize with other communities that also are struggling and have struggled for their rights. Um, I see a community that honors the people that came before us that fought for these rights, which is something I think is really important, honoring our ancestors and those that came before, the people at Stonewall that threw bricks at police for beating um, trans women of color, um, for honoring all of that. So I see a much more loving and inclusive community than what I was raised to believe. Um, and in a lot of ways, I have traded that community and communities like the one that I've built with you and Lindsay and Trey for church. To me, when I'm hanging out with my friends at OSU or I'm hanging out with you guys, that's church. And I've traded those two things in a big way. And it's been a lot more beneficial. And then spiritually... Oh boy, things are different. <laughs> um, I won't go too far into any one thing, um, but soon after coming out, I started to wrestle with the idea of a hell. Like, if I'm gay and God's not going to send me to hell for being gay, do I really think that he's going to send straight couples that have sex before they get married to hell? Or is he really going to send drug addicts to hell? I wasn't very sure of that, and through digging in researching and conversations I've come to the point that I don't believe in a hell and if I do I believe in a hell but not a physical hell I think when Jesus talks about hell most of the time he's talking about a mindset a mindset that we put ourselves into that create toxic living environments for us here and now on earth and the salvation that he's talking about is a way to get out of that a way to live like him to believe to believe in him means to do what he did. So to live your life the way that Jesus lived is to be saved from those toxic environments that we've built through our own stupid choices because we're humans and that's how humans work. Um, yeah. So, because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, well, two things. Um, when you brought up um, uh, talking about sexuality and talking about uh, uh, just what you were told about homosexuality in the past and about the hookups in the parks and, and, mm -hmm. and the, the brazen whatever. And, and that's not how it actually is. I, I, I laugh because my entire life, that's what I was told. Yep. And that's what we had to fight against. Cause that's the agenda. Cause that's the, and, um, just the beautiful thing that I've been able to piggyback off of your experience, um, uh, is just seeing one, seeing you grow and mature and you experiencing uh, who you are and then you sharing those stories with, with Lindsay and I and knowing the stuff that we started to realize years ago that, you know, the stuff that's being said, that's a bunch of lies. It's not true. We've had friends in the past. We've had connections in the past. We've had, and we know that's not how it is, but this is what we're being told our entire life. And, and when you're when you're stuck in those environments and that, and you're paid to be there and you have to think that way and you can't think any differently and you feel stuck in it. And that it sounds hypocritical because it is, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a weird struggle. Um, your, your, it's been a, I don't want to use that. I'm not going to use that word because <laughs> it's so Christianese. I'm not going to use it. It has been an awesome experience to see you, 
awaken and it's helped us put uh, life to how we felt and the and your freedom brought freedom to us because we were able like yes this is yes yeah. and we and and so the stories of past friends and then your your story because it's more personal to us because it, you are family yeah and it's real um, to whereas you know friends in the past yeah there are connections and but it, it's not it, there's something different when it's family yeah and yeah. so there was a freedom there and it it's just been it's been awesome to see that but it's also helped for me it's helped my because I've always struggled especially in my deconstruction in the last five or six however many years it's been um, I've always struggled with what sin is because your entire life you're told it's your actions and it's all these things but yeah. you said it so well and you didn't even use the word sin because you've gotten to a point where you don't have I to don't. use it anymore yeah. um, but because I know there's folks that's going to be listening to this we can have this conversation about what exactly is sin and you said it it's that sin is really that mental space that's toxic that's yep. that, that if you want to know what sin is not your actions it's not the things you do sin is it's the it means missing the mark well what mark are you missing you're missing the true life of who you really are and so when you're missing out on who you really are and that freedom you're quote unquote in sin yeah you're you're you are and you are living in hell because of it and um so really sin is just toxic things in us that bring destruction yeah Another way I've heard it put is sin is a misalignment between your perspective of yourself, your perspective of others, and your perspective of God. That's good. Because when any of those three things are misaligned, when you don't view yourself, others, or God correctly, that's going to reap all of these different things that we've labeled sin. So, cheating on your wife. You're not viewing your wife in the way that you should be. Right. That's... Obviously, the cheating is not good. It's morally not good. It's not the sin. The sin is the root of the problem. Right. Not valuing and seeing your wife the way that you should. The same can be said for anything else that the church has deemed a sin. Right. So, to me, when I hear that something's sinful, I try to line it up with that. So, sexuality, for instance. Me being gay is not a misalignment, like, a, not a me seeing myself improperly it's the most authentic way to see myself. Right. So to me, if I were to try to act straight, I would be sinning because I would be not living in the alignment that I'm supposed to. Right. To me, that's sin, which that idea has turned so many other things on its head (laughs) and how the church relates to people. Right. Right. Because, and, and when it comes down to it, the reason why the majority of folks see things that way is because of, they can't, they can't see themselves any other way, but bad, mm-hmm. but being a sinner, quote unquote, whatever. And when you're told that your entire life and you live that out, then you're the brokenness in you just starts pouring out into others and yep. starts reaping that onto other people. And you get mad when people tell you you aren't a right. hellbound missile. Right. Like I had a conversation with someone the other day who talked about how there was a song, a hymn that they liked and it just, the grief it made them feel because they, some, I don't remember what the hymn was, but 
your sin nailed Jesus to the cross is basically the message of the hymn. And I was like, you know, that's not true. Like, you don't have to feel guilty about Jesus dying. Your sin is not what killed him. It was it was a dominant religious and political system that married together that killed him because he was seen as a radical. But we've been told that we should bear the weight and the guilt of Jesus' death. And people get mad when you try to disrupt that because they've become so used to it and they think that guilt of the cross is synonymous with Christianity. In order to be a Christian, you have to feel really bad about killing Jesus, even though you weren't around back then. I, it's very self-deprivating. <laughs> right. Right. If, it's, you, yeah. if, it, if you don't feel shame, if you don't feel guilty, if you don't feel this, then you're not... Yeah. In any other relationship, we would call that abuse. Psychological abuse. Right. If someone brought up something that happened a long time ago that you really actually didn't have anything to do with and told you you had to feel guilty about it, we would call that abuse. So I think we should start calling a lot of what the church does what it is. Spiritual and emotional abuse. Right. Yeah. And constantly begging for forgiveness. Like, what what relationship would you ever want to be in where you constantly have to beg for forgiveness? For things that you didn't, like, yeah. Forgiveness and forgiveness so that you don't get tortured for all of eternity. Right. Like... I haven't said it publicly yet, but I guess I'll go ahead and say it here. I'm writing a book. Um, pretty much just finished the first draft. But there's a whole chapter about hell, and this is one of the metaphors I use to talk about it. And any rational any rational parent knows that their kid is going to mess up. They're going to fuck up and do something along the way that's going to make you angry or hurt them, and therefore you don't want them to do it. A rational way of dealing with that would be to correct them to show them why what they did led to a bad outcome and maybe give them some pointers on why not to do that in the future. But what's not rational is to throw them into the basement if they don't say sorry a thousand times every time they wake up in the morning. Throw them into a basement, lock the door, and light it on fire. To do that for all of eternity, over and over and over. But that's exactly what the church says God's going to do if you don't apologize and grovel at his feet for every waking second of your life. I personally, and this has taken a long time to get there, want absolutely nothing to do with that God. That God is a monster. And it's not the God that Jesus came to reveal. So I think all of that needs to be flipped on its head. Yeah. No, I totally agree. 100%. And, uh, I think, I was talking to somebody the other day, I think there, in the next 10 to 20 years, I think one of the major uh, shifts in uh, whatever, <laughs> we'll quote unquote the church, I think, well, I'm gonna, and when I say the church, I'm going to say the one that's healthy. Well, the, the healthy church moving forward, one that's inclusive, one that's... Uh, teaching uh, uh, teaching how you know how to live or how to walk out the words of Jesus that that healthy aspect of the church I think the two biggest things that are going to happen in the next 10 years is one we're going to take mental health seriously and uh, actually acknowledge it and help uh, 
folks with all the spiritual trauma and abuse that has happened in the last, mm-hmm. um, well, thousand, two thousand years. But yeah. those that are here alive now, I think that's the yep. the ministry that's going to happen is is going to be mental health, and a lot of it's not going to happen in the church. A lot of it's going to happen outside the walls of the church. It's going to happen with licensed psychologists and counselors. Yep. Um, I think that is one of the major things that's going to happen. That's that's the shift we're going to see. And the second thing that I think is going to take place is that we're actually going to start. I think. Uh, I think. Real church is going to be one that is inclusive mm-hmm. to all, and I think it's it's finally going to shift. There's going to be, there's going the shift is going to happen to the point to where there's the old guard that is going to fizzle, and there's it's almost like a reformation. A reformation is going to happen because the uh, mental health is going to be started to be taken seriously and we're going to confront control and spiritual abuse and, and, uh, and those things. And we're going to start looking at this toxic theology that has gone on. And from those things, I think eventually we're going to get to a point where inclusivity is going to happen. It already is happening. And, and, and to those of you that are listening, and you, maybe you feel like you, because because you go to a place that is not inclusive, that is very judgmental, that is very, listen, trust me, do a little research in your wherever you're at, you, uh, or just get online. And if if that's your thing, and you're like, I have to have church or whatever, trust me, there's folks out there that yeah. are inclusive, that are loving, that are that are connecting. Um, there's a party happening and you're invited to it. Well, and that's the thing we're, we're made to feel like we're the minority, right? Like inclusivity and caring about mental health is the minority in the church. It's not right. They, the people that aren't inclusive are the most loud. Right. But literally the vast majority of even gay people believe in God. So it's not like this is some fringe community off to the side that we, that doesn't exist. That doesn't have, that doesn't go to church. We right. do. There are churches that are accepting of us. And I think what's happening is, is that also people are realizing the power of humanity. And what I mean by that is, is people start seeing we're all human. Mm-hmm. And if there's any type of spiritual or, um, mystical or whatever you want, if you're going to start talking about humanity and then you're going to start talking about a creator and then you start talking about if we're if, if you're going to go that route and you're going to say well we're if humanity's created in his image then we if you believe that and you say that then you're going to have to start seeing all humanity as in his image as in his and well I don't even want to say his. I was about to say her. I almost corrected myself to her, believe it or not. And I don't know if people are ready to go down that route yet on here, but that's all right. Um I mean you I jive with it so much better. Well, I don't think I, I just think we're gonna have to get to a point of we're gonna because everybody freaks out about the phrase non-binary, but um, it's uh, a very accurate way to uh, describe God, God is non-binary. Yep, and he uh, is both and neither all at the same time. Other, yes, <laughs> yep, and um, and that's one of those things. If you go back, I'm going on a rabbit trail, but I don't care. <laughs> um, that's one of those things. If you go back and you start looking at original languages and you start and what scripture is written in and then look at the stuff that they tried to throw out and get rid of you start realizing that when jesus taught he taught in aramaic and greek and when he talked about things he used him her 
and non mm-hmm. uh, when he discussed things. And then also people talk about, well, there's the Lord's Prayer and he says, Our Father. You don't think he taught that more than once? No. Oh. Yeah. And then when you actually read that prayer in Aramaic, you understand that, yeah, it starts out with our father, but then there's also feminine, non-binary. There's all sorts of stuff all right there in that prayer. And so he's not trying to definitively say, boom, this. Yep. He's really saying being inclusive. Well, and at the end of the day, why do we care so much whether or not God has a... <laughs> like, the amount... <laughs> Of not care I have is unbelievable. The only thing that makes me care about it at all is the fact that women have been pushed down so much in the church that elevating their pronouns and giving those pronouns to the most mystical force in the entire universe, to me, makes up for some of that. It shows that women are powerful. I agree with that. That's the only care I have. Because of the trauma that it's caused, that's why. Yep. That's... I truly don't care about the genitalia. <laughs> but, yeah. That was a rabbit trail, and I apologize. It was a good one, though. It was a good one. <laughs> but, uh, so, I'm going to close out with uh, a couple questions. I'm going to oh, ask boy. a serious question, and right. I'm going to ask you a funny question. Oh, God. All right. So, first, I'm going to give you this serious question first. What brings you peace of mind now? That's so open-ended. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> you don't have to get deep. Okay. You can just be a few things. or It's going to be deep. All right. You know me. <laughs> um, okay, I guess I'll just answer with what first popped into my head. Okay. The thing that gives me the biggest peace of mind now is my generation. Looking at the trends that we're on, the path that we're... The majority of us are taking is one that's much more inclusive of people that society has not been inclusive of um both spiritually socially and politically things are beginning to shift in all of those sectors um exploitation in the workplace is something that i care a lot about and this is the first time in a while that capitalist systems are actually being questioned in the same way there's been the oppression of women and queer people in the church like we've talked about and they're actually finally being called into question by people in my generation. So I'm very hopeful um, that there's going to be big shifts in all three of those areas um, that come from my generation. So that gives me hope and makes me proud. Yeah, your, your generation needs to kick it in gear because I want my kids to grow up <laughs> yes. in a better society. Yeah. Because... Well, I'm Gen X, so we just don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, we were latchkey kids and everything else, so we didn't we didn't care. But you guys have to change things, fix the boomers' um, mess. Yeah, you got to fix the boomers' mess. We'll help, but <laughs> we're not going to start it because we want to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, my 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 funny question is this: What is your um, guilty pleasure TV show. Oh, okay. It's um, funny. I told you it's gonna be a funny one. Let me think. Like you would like, be ashamed if other people knew that 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 I you don't. This. I feel like I need to look at my Netflix history. <laughs> I don't know. No, I do. I talked about it today with my grandpa. There's this stupid show 
called Mountain Monsters on, I don't remember what, I think it's on Discovery Plus. Oh my. It's the fakest shit you've ever seen. <laughs> but they go all around Appalachia and they look for the swamp beast and the lizard man and Bigfoot and werewolves. Is Mothman on there? Yes. And they build big giant cages to try to throw down on top of Sasquatch. And don't get me wrong, it's all fake. But man, these hillbillies running through the woods are hilarious. It's called Mountain Monsters? Mountain Monsters. And it's the funniest thing ever. Awesome. So, a a plug for Mountain Monsters. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no no plug? I'm not sponsored. You're not sponsored. If they want to sponsor me, for whatever I do, sure. Awesome. So here's the thing. Before we go, you said you're you're writing a book. Indeed. Indeed. You are. I've read some of it. It's good. Um, what's the name of it? I'm not, you're not 1,000 sure. percent. Okay. Well, then if you don't want to share the title, that's fine. I I think I'm. Right now, the working title is a better way. In. Essentially, we're, it talks about everything that we just talked about this in this podcast to a little more in-depth, like a more in-depth perspective. So like when we talk about the Greek language being used, we actually dissect that. Um, it talks about politics and the church's role in it and what the church's role should be in it. Um, it talks about God as a woman, um, which is my favorite chapter. <laughs> We talk about crystals and tarot cards and mantras and chanting. All that fun stuff. Nice. Pretty much anything. <laughs> all of it. All of it. So when when do you think it's going to come out? The hope is like mid to end September. Mid to end September. Yeah. I so have not announced it anywhere late else yet. September. Yeah, late September. Somewhere in there. This is a scoop. We're getting the exclusive. This is, yeah. Nobody else knows, so... So, uh, uh, we will definitely promote it when it comes out. Because I know it's going to be on the 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 dirty word, Amazon. Mm, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Jeff Bezos. <laughs> but, yeah. I know it'll be on there to where they can, folks can grab it in some other places. So, we will definitely put it out there when it happens. So, anything, you, anything else you got? Anything else you want to throw out there? I think that's it. You done? I am. <laughs> All right, before we go, I want to tell you about a uh, book slash journal that I wrote this past year. It's called Reflections, and it's basically a prompt journal. Um, After uh, the first of the year, and uh, I was trying to work through the loss of my father due to COVID, uh, my family uh, dealing with COVID itself and uh, trying to wrestle with everything else that was kind of going on and um, even dealing with more friends and family uh, walking through some different situations I kind of spent a season just lost to be honest with you and not knowing kind of how to work some things out so I started uh, looking into some things and checking in on you know how to deal with some inner stuff stuff that had been there for a long time stuff that uh, I started to realize 
that was causing me to react and even feel certain ways when situations happened. And so I started on this journey trying to work on uh, some shadowy things in my heart. Um, those things that, you know, Jesus would say uh, when he was sharing the parable of the speck and the plank, it would be the plank that I would have uh, in my soul that would cause me to judge or cause me to react in a certain way. And so I started you know, figuring out how, how to find healing and, and uh, find out how to deal with uh, those certain things. And in the process, I found the good things uh, that that I needed to be amplified in myself, uh, that I could not only help myself, but help my family and help, um, my neighbors, um, uh, to the point to where it would actually help them. And, you know, they can start working on some things in themselves and those bad places that needed, you know, healing and hope and all that. And so out of that season, I wrote this prompt journal called Reflections, and uh, it's available in hard copy to where you can get it. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, um, but uh, you can get it on Amazon, and uh, it's a quick turnaround. And once you order it, you can get it like free shipping if you have Prime. Uh, but other than that, you can turn around and get it in like two days and you can start working through this process. There's 31 questions. They are deep. <laughs> I will tell you that. Uh, some of them are easy to answer. Some of them are hard and uh, causes you to think. It causes you to start working on some deep stuff. Um, and uh, I, I, I put this together to help people. And uh, I hope that as you go through this, if you find yourself in a place where you're like, man, I... Uh, I'm probably going to need to talk to somebody. I'm probably going to need to um, maybe go deeper. And uh, my heart is, is that you would reach out to a therapist or a counselor. And there's actually a place at the end of the book uh, to where you can find some links on uh, our, our uh, online community's website. Uh, we are hopecommunity.com. Uh, you can go there and there's a, a bunch of links that you can connect with uh, that would get you to anywhere from texting with a therapist to going doing it online to actually scheduling a meeting um a lot of good stuff there so i want you to know that there is help in this whole process and uh um so yeah um the reflections prompt journal is available now and uh if you don't have the flow to get one of those message me email me and uh, I'll send you a PDF copy for free so you can start working on this because it's my heart and my hope that we all can find healing and uh, help be help humanity be the best that they can be.